previously on Reading in Church and Other Distractions. I do want to say that, backing up a bit, yes. I went to a, a costume party with a friend, and I was Tohu, and he was Vabohu. Was he really? No, you <laughs> Sounds not. like the worst costume party ever. No, you didn't. <laughs> yes. What, you didn't. Yes. Was it some sort of theological costume party? It was church-related. <laughs> how do you... How do, okay, now I need to know. How do you dress we like were punks. We were punks. You were punks? This is a, in the 80s, so... <laughs> Formless and void, and yeah. Anyway, it didn't it didn't go over so well. I see. Just dressed like your parents didn't understand you. Is that what it was? This is who I am, mom. I, I had <laughs> deep thoughts. This is not a phase. This is not a this phase. This is who I am. <laughs> Unlike last week. <laughs> right. Thing of what I am. Wow. All right. Well, that that may very well be the nerdiest costume. I know that ever. sounds nerdy. It's an Old Testament nerdiest costume. I can't even compete. I with know. That. It's it was uh, questionable. Wait. Or not a lot of thought went into it. It's like, eh, let's rip clothes and throw paint on them or something. Ranks, I mean, I, I always go with, you know, whenever we're at some group and somebody's like, okay, I need a name from the Bible. And I always go, Mahershal Hashbaz. Um, which, but I can't, that's not close to competing with going to dressed as Tohu. <laughs> that is, that um, sounds so nerdy. That is unbelievable. Didn't, didn't think it was nerdy, but now when I tell the story, it sounds, man, that sounds nerdy. <laughs> I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be thinking about that for a while. I wasn't not known as a nerd either. So gonna, you weren't known as a nerd. No. Uh-uh. Okay. Uh-uh. I'll choose to believe that at this time. <laughs> well, they might have. Yeah. If they someone would say, "Oh, you guys came as punks," and if we explain it, they go, "Oh, you're nerds." <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. I think I, I think I need to go talk to other people at this point. <laughs> Welcome to. Reading in church and other distractions with Rob and Mike. Well, welcome back to the podcast. I am Robert Wallace. I'm Michael McKeever. And we are in the fifth Sunday in Lent together. Yay! We uh, have uh, four texts uh, Ezekiel 37, 1 to 14, Psalm 130, Romans 8, 6 through 11. Probably not a lot to say there in Romans. Well, I guess. we'll dip in. And and yet another of your favorite psalms, know, 45 uh, verses from uh, John 11. John, yeah, one of my favorite chapters. It's amazing. I haven't been looking ahead and realizing these are some of my they favorite really, chapters. I mean, this is this, the Lent, Lent the, the lectionary is really favoring you I didn't right think now. I'd get any, yeah. Yeah, I'd, you... I'd been working hard with Matthew and... <laughs> I get all, all these bones. The um, all these bones thrown at me, as it were. Make sure and, and like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. And um, I, if you're listening to us on iTunes, uh, make sure and leave a review. Grateful for those of you who already have um, on Google Play. Uh, you can download us. I don't think you can leave a review on Google Play. Um, but after some requests, we are now also available on Stitcher. So, if, what is Stitcher? Stitcher is a, a home for podcasts. Oh. They they have okay. a whole bunch of them there, and uh, they have a free app that you can download on I think either device, whatever your operating system okay. is. And uh, they also will let you leave a review. Okay. So, thanks so, for the reviews on on iTunes. Absolutely, and grateful if you are on. If you're listening to it via Stitcher, leave some reviews there as well. Um, I was specifically told by the administration at Stitcher that that does help people search and kick your podcast up. So, okay. And for those of you gathered at the tele, uh, the Telegraph office, thanks. I know that's not easy, that's, but uh, <laughs> leave lines. a good word for us there. Oh my gosh, the lines at the <laughs> Telegraph office these days um, just can't even handle it. But uh, yeah, I think that's all of our social social media accounts. And anything else that we need to? Oh, email. I forgot our email. Reading in church yeah. at gmail.com. Right. I've so. got to get some of those accounts. I don't have 
I don't think I have all those accounts. Do we have an Instagram account? I, we do not have an Instagram okay. account. Do you really want to take pictures of us? I, mean, picture, <laughs> no. I, mean, I don't think that's – there's a real demand doesn't, for that. doesn't change a lot well, from week to week. I figure the two of us have a face for radio. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> this, is, this is our right media. I think we're finding it right here. So so anything else going on this we need to talk about? Um, Good things? The Good big week? drawing today. No, this, we don't have anything else going on. <laughs> Nothing else is going on. It's the big giveaway. Mm. <laughs> I guess you can get mugs through Zazzle. I made a few mugs. I don't know if I ever. We'll post something if we. They're on our Facebook page. On our Facebook. Yeah, page. and I yeah. posted on Twitter yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah, we don't get any money from that, but no, they are available. They're there. Yeah, Mike is an expert at distracting himself. If there are not <laughs> enough distractions, he can provide distractions for you. Um, oh, there's also a, uh, for those who've listened to uh, past podcasts. There's also one uh, patches and stumpy. There's a patches and stumpy mug there. Oh, too. there there is on Zazzle. <laughs> yeah, on Zazzle. Just look for McKeever. <laughs> <laughs> wow so it's bible clubhouse or something oh, yeah, yeah. That, i see that yeah. up there you know i've been yeah. in your office now for seven years i've never noticed patches oh, and stuff really? is it, is it yeah, it's, it's way in the back corner so there's nothing growing in it <laughs> that's amazing yeah bible clubhouse with with patches, patches and stumpy, and stumpy. Well, it needs to be to, clean. have to go back for the podcast before that makes any sense to you so and I guess, it's got a Got a picture, definition of hyperbole. That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I'd, seriously, that mo- that that video made me laugh out loud and realized that that you, do, you and I are going to be good friends. You're in the so right department. I was absolutely in the right department when I saw a YouTube video of finger puppets teaching the New Testament. So, oh my goodness. Well, speaking of weird, let us go to Ezekiel thirty-seven. Yeah, wow. How about that for a segue? Man, I'm this should be interesting. I'm a professional. It's a great, well-known chapter. It is. All right, Ezekiel 37. The hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were very many lying in the valley, and they were very dry. I should have read this ahead of time. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) He said to me, Mortal, can these bones live? I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will lay sinews on you and you will and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded and as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise A rattling of the bones came together, bone to its bone. I looked, and there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, mortal, and say to the breath, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them. They lived and stood on their feet, a vast multitude. Then he said to me, Mortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are cut off completely. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from the graves, O my people, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from the graves, O my people, I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you on your own soil. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act, 
says the Lord. Yep. Man, mic drop. <laughs> that is something. It, it, it is the, the climax, in a lot of ways, for me, of the book of Ezekiel. It's chapter 37. Why does this weird stuff only happen with Ezekiel? <laughs> it's, he has a lot of... He is, he's famous for his visions. He has the, the call experience in, um, in Ezekiel 1. I always uh, label as dramatic because I'm afraid to put the word bizarre mm. on the test. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an yeah. unusual confrontation. Um, he has the vision of God's spirit leaving the temple. Um, mm-hmm. right. You know, there was that um, idolatry that had developed of the temple in Israel and that uh, at this point, Judah, that uh, as long as the temple was standing, God wasn't going to let anything happen. This yeah. is God's house, right? right? God yeah. lives here. Yeah. So yeah. nothing bad can happen to God's house. Yeah. And so Ezekiel literally sees God move out. Um, you know, God was in a changing neighborhood and he decided to move to the suburbs. Transitional. It was in transition there. And mm-hmm. so he, he moved out. And now God, you know, they were saying, oh, we're as safe as if we were in a big iron pot. And Ezekiel said, yeah, and God's going to cook you in that big iron pot. <laughs> people, um, said, people said that back then. They did. They did. That was actually the phrase they used. <laughs> really? Yeah. And he, he turned it on them. That is weird. Big iron pots. Yeah. He's would have seen that coming. That's right a vulnerable saying. But uh, yes, it is. But when you come to Ezekiel is warning them against destruction and warning them against idolatry and warming them against this destruction. And finally, destruction comes. And the minute destruction comes, Ezekiel's message changes to hope. So he doesn't mm. gloat and he doesn't, you know, I told you people. Um, but he, he turns to a message of hope. And this is sort of the, the climax of hope in Pivots. so many ways. Um, he pivots. Yes, yes, he does. He pivots. <laughs> the, um, the, see, you're happy now. You screwed me up. That was what your goal was. You threw, you lobbed the grenade I, I had, in. I don't have any notes in here to screw you up. Got me off to, no, no, you no, just enjoy it. If no I get on a run. speed bumps. But you, sometimes I plan it ahead. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He'll probably be rolling here, so I need to. Uh, no, I have nothing to. This, this uh, this is the, the vision, this, this vision of hope. And in many ways, the book could end here. It goes another 11 chapters, but mm. it really, it, it might, it might have originally, we don't know, mm. ended it in chapter 37. It's a really good, good chapter. Yeah. Um. But once again, God picks up Ezekiel and lifts him out to a, a valley. Um, this is um, a, a battlefield image. This is a, um, a battle has been fought here. And um, as often happens, bodies are simply left to decay in this battlefield. Okay. And so so that's the dry bones is obviously skeletons on a battlefield. And that's, that's got to be a slaughter if in, yes. with the value on preserving the body and the and the well in that day was it i mean with the uh, ascendancy of the the faith in resurrection that becomes a vital see and this is the very aspect. first case ah. of resurrection in the old testament okay um and and i should point out that this this there are really only two really good examples of, of resurrection in the old testament there is this one and then there's the very end of daniel daniel and daniel um is the only case where it's the resurrection of an individual here it's okay. a resurrection of the nation, right? Um, which I think is significant. I mean, that's a that's an important yeah. step, obviously. <laughs> um, but it's different than you know talking about an individual being faithful yeah. and resurrected. Mm-hmm. This is God telling Israel that though you are past the point of hope, you know we've seen resuscitations up to this point in the mm-hmm. Old Testament. We've seen right. people who were dead for a short time come back. Yeah, but uh, this is a case where someone is way past 
the freshness date, you know, and this is, I mean, <laughs> expiration way past the sell, the, sell by. the sell by date here is long gone, but they're gotten, <laughs> dry, taking a gruesome turn. dry bones that have no, nothing but skeletons. That's the yeah. point. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then of course you have this, the creation image, this recreation image yeah. of God, um, shaping them and then breathing in them, which of course is what gives them life. Um, and they rise this, this vast army. Uh, and then God says, actually, my favorite answer was when God, when God asked Ezekiel, uh, can these bones live, son of man? Yeah. And Ezekiel gives, I always tell the students, this is the best answer you can ever yeah, give God. This is safe. Well, I, I bet you know. Yeah. <laughs> God says, oh, yes, God, I know. do. That's the safe old answer in the safe New Testament is Jesus. Oh, okay. is that the safe one? Yeah, yeah. It's the old one is I guess Jesus. You know, oh God. <laughs> um but then after the, he tells Israel, you know, I'm going to open your graves. I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to resurrect this nation. Uh, David rules over them at the end of this chapter. Not not a king like David, but oh, David well, uh, rules over them. And this, um, I will put my spirit within you and you shall live, The verse 14, and I will place you on your own soil. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act. That the spirit of God has left them. Mm. And now to have 14, God is is reassuring them that, it's coming back and it's okay. staying there. Wow. Um, and in fact, when Ezekiel ends, the very last verse of Ezekiel, God changes the name of the holy city. Um, that it's no longer going to be uh, Yerushalayim, but it's going to be Yahweh Shammah. So it's making a pun on the name. It's no longer going to be the city of peace. It's going to be Yahweh is there. Oh. Um, because he's left back at the beginning of the book. And Ooh, now... Wow. From the name of that city, from that time on, will be the hmm. Lord is there, and wow. he'll never he'll never forsake them hmm. again. So that's where we're going with this. My spirit will be there, okay. and I'm never going to leave and restore you and be with you and stay with you forever. So it's, it is it is the climax. This part, wow, yeah, in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think we were talking before the podcast uh, that this 14 is um, as you're exiting the Holocaust Memorial in, is. in Jerusalem mm-hmm. there in uh, English and in and in Hebrew. Um, and there's more good stuff after that too. Yeah. yeah. Changing the name of the city. Yeah. It's powerful. Yeah. That, that, you know, the, the issue of God leaving them was just, you know, incredibly traumatic. That yeah. idea of moving out of, and, and can God be with us on a foreign soil? And can God, you know, can God speak to a prophet on a foreign soil? And all of these things, Ezekiel challenges. Ezekiel ends up being a prophet in Babylon yeah. and, um, you know, seeing God appear there and God planting the spirit there first and then putting them on the soil and, okay. and being with them wherever they might be and, yeah. um, and being the name of that city. And then right after this, you get the very, very apocalyptic imageries of the new temple. Um, Ezekiel understands oh, yeah, that this ideal temple um, as um, the metaphor for paradise. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I was sitting in on a. Uh, I was when I was doing my PhD. I was representing the biblical studies students. I don't know what that meant. There was a whole bunch of different PhDs in the program, and someone was proposing to do a PhD on uh, Ezekiel thirty-eight. And I was just fascinated with their proposal on the rhetoric of the temple. Mm-hmm. I, I never like mm-hmm. rhetoric of temple, rhetoric of building space. What? Yeah. And then I ended up like. They planted a seed, and I end up yeah, doing a, uh, a dissertation doing. On, on temple, on temple in, in Luke and Acts. Yeah. yeah, yeah, which was a good good percentage of Luke and Acts, you know, oriented toward or takes place in the temple. Yeah. So, so yeah, this is one of those places where I, I think you can see what you were talking about. There's no dominant metaphor sometimes mm-hmm. in, in talking about in Romans that that Ezekiel understands ideal 
uh, ideal fellowship with God in the context of temple. Mm -hmm. And John in Revelation understands it in terms of city. Mm -hmm. um, where there is no temple. Yeah. And, and so the argument isn't, well, when does Ezekiel's temple get built or yeah. when doesn't it get yeah. built? It's no, 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 this is, we can talk about ideal, perfect relationship with God this way. Yeah. We can talk about ideal. perfect. Although relationship the city with God is the way. shape of the Holy of Holies. So it's a cube. Oh, it's a temple itself. Yeah. Because so there doesn't there's no need, a need for a temple because the, this God, so everyone's God inside is, the Holy yeah. of Holies in Revelation. Yeah. yeah. Basically. Wow. Yeah. And we're keeping the doors of the hell of the Holy of Holies open. Yeah. Yeah. So you can walk in and out of the Holy of Holies yeah, anytime not you all need. These, uh, not all these antechambers, all these Because uh, the gates of and, the city are open. Or, so the whole thing. I've never heard the city is shaped like the oh, Holy really? of Holies. There's, there, <laughs> when, I start, when I start Revelation, when I start teaching that we do, um, we talk about, we go through some creeds and how they get, how, uh, first of all, God gets lowered on the list, Bible shows up. And then eschatology becomes huge. Yes, this very large section on eschatology. Yeah, and then we fin I finish up with these two churches that split off. They were arguing about the shape of the in Jerusalem. <laughs> one of them said, no, it's a cube like the Holy of Holies. The other one said it was a pyramid. So it obviously <laughs> couldn't continue. <laughs> they couldn't it together. Either one of them was going to make their earth kind of go in a kind of a spirograph sort of orbit. <laughs> I figure if they're reading it. Completely, literally. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah, but it makes sense with the, all the temple imagery uh, of the city that it would be four square, you know, uh, well, perfect mm -hmm. uh, shape. And the place well, I mean, the, the dimensions are there. How, how, how are they coming up with pyramids? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> pet, pet theory. If, if, you're, <laughs> if you're a member of that Wait, church. No, no, no. Let's back up. We're talking about Revelation. And you said, how are they coming up with <laughs> That's a good point. Sorry. That, was, that one's on me. If you're a member of that church, we'd love to hear you defend yeah. your pyramid thoughts regarding the final <laughs> holy city. Mike would. I don't. Yes. Send it to Mike. Yeah. Uh, he collects crazy eschatology. Um, yeah. Good show up in a PowerPoint. <laughs> that's right. I'm not a fan of crazy eschatology myself. So... But oh man! Anyway, that uh, Ezekiel is yeah is, is fascinating. <laughs> getting back to crazy getting back to Ezekiel. Thinking of crazy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he uh, that that notion that um, you will know that I am the Lord is a very common one. Ezekiel. That's a repeated phrase mm. all the way through. Yeah. Um, you know they will know that a prophet's been among them, and they will and they will know that I am the Lord. Or you shall know that I am the Lord. So what's behind that? What? what how do we he hear that? I mean, it's so common. I think we do hear it. And it goes in. Uh, I mean, I think I get it, but you know that I am the Lord. That phrase, I am the Lord, is, um, it, it immediately calls to mind Exodus and Temple, or excuse me, Exodus and Torah, mm -hmm. um, the giving of the law, you know, I, the Lord, brought you out of the land yeah. of Egypt, um, the Shema, um, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. I mean, this, this I am the Lord uh, is, I think, a connection to all of that. All so the whole, the whole history. Yeah. I mean, it's not just, you'll know I'm Yahweh. It's like, oh yeah, Yahweh, yeah. right. Forgot yeah, that. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. It's by using that phrase, you're calling to mind, mm. you know, everything that has happened from Exodus, you know, and Torah. Yeah. And, We've got I mean, some history. Yeah. Yeah. And Torah is always connected to God's deliverance. And I am the Lord is, is, you know, God's, and God's name is tied to that. And who God is. And mm -hmm. I, I don't know that I would want to connect the phrase I am to that. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. No, I wasn't Moses. saying that. No, but a... maybe. And and maybe this. Maybe we should think when we look at this into the. the I am, comma, the, the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we should think about it in terms of, of the giving of the, the holy name in Exodus 3 to Moses and, and what all that means. I mean, God's name is. That's part of it. 
God's name is is complicated. I mean, it's it's connected to the Hebrew word for being, but you know, Hebrew doesn't have that same tense that other languages do. So any tense we have in English would work as a fair translation of that. It could be I was, it could be I am, it could be I will be. Um, and there, uh, W.F. Albright believed it was the causal form of the verb to be. So it's uh, that Yahweh's name was I'm the one who causes to be. I'm creator. Um, and any of permutations of those would be fair. Uh, I will be what I was. I was what I will be. I am what I, you know, any of that would be. Yeah. So, so in the old Testament, if names give insight into character, it's I fascinating. What to I me. <laughs> it's fascinating to me that if names give insight into character, God's is kind of hard to pin down yeah. Beyond, yeah. Beyond, yeah. beyond being. Um, it is ground he, of being. He is there and uh, he is Yahweh. And uh, that's connected to all of that. And that's why I think you get the bottom. Then you shall know that I, Yahweh, have spoken and will act, says Yahweh, driving on that point. It's an, I, I think, it's, you know, I kind of made a joke about, why does all this weird stuff always happen with Ezekiel? Yeah. Like, what's the common denominator here? But uh, I just kind of wonder how God interacts with different personality types and characters, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. How he re- reveals himself or how they perceive him. I mean, he's just off the charts in some of his... And, you know, Ezekiel's uh, visions and Ezekiel does not have, you know, we talked a little bit about type scenes before and the, the type scene of a, a prophetic call usually follows the same formula. You know, God appears, mm-hmm. uh, God offers a word of, of calling, the prophet objects, God reassures the prophet, um, and then sometimes we'll give him a sign. And that, that's typical in Moses and Jeremiah yeah. and, you know, all these call yeah. experiences share this type scene. Mm-hmm. Ezekiel does not object. <laughs> He never objects. God okay. shows up. God calls, says, now, when you get out there, don't worry about the scorpions or the briars or the, you know. Okay. And Ezekiel doesn't. Yeah. The only thing no, Ezekiel, he is, he's, okay, <laughs> cool. The only thing Ezekiel objects to is eating bread cooked over human dung. That's it. Yeah, that's right. There's only um, protest. That's the only protest he has. And it was, that's a great moment. Understandable. Too. And in fact, I really would like to know, and if there's any representative of Ezekiel, Ezekiel bread, bread, please let me know. Is it cooked over <laughs> real dung yeah. or not? Yeah. I just need to know that. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's, in those in those dramatic signs, because that's sponsorship. They, <laughs> in those dramatic signs, um, Ezekiel is sort of associ- all of the signs he performs at the beginning are associating him with exile. So he's playing war like the mm-hmm. exile. He's, he's eating like they do in the exile. He's doing all this. And one of the things you do in the exile is you dilute your wheat with everything else oh. and you cook it over whatever fire source you have. And so okay. the, the combined yeah, right. the combined siege cake that he makes, he then cooks over. I mean, you cook it over human dung because apparently that burns. Siege cake. <laughs> yeah, that's what I call it, siege cakes. And that's the only objection he has. He's like, you know, God, I was a priest. Please don't make me cook yeah, it over human okay. dung. And God says, how about cow dung? And Ezekiel said, okay. Um, yes. So that was fine. Best question I ever had from a student. This is dangerous, but the best question I ever had from a student. I teach that section. I'm talking through it, and a student says, "Dr. Wallace." I said, "Yeah." I said, "Did God mean his own or someone else's?" Oh my goodness! <laughs> I said, I, "I, I don't know." Well, you don't get that one every semester. I don't. And I said, "I'm not real sure what's better." What's there. behind the question? <laughs> I really don't know. Now that's when you punt. It's, it's, this is what I've learned. It's like, did everyone hear the question? Who would like to answer the question? <laughs> no, I, I didn't even swing. Because I got nothing. I went with, I went with, I'm not sure which would be better. I'm not sure what you're hoping for there. So, Best question I had. I, I might have mentioned this on the podcast. So someone's asking at the arrest of Jesus when the ear is cut off. They're like, did he make a new ear? Or did he pick up that one and reattach it? Or Did he make a new one? Did he make a new one? <laughs> How it's did like, you answer that? I said, I've never heard that before. <laughs> 
So when I was at when we were in Israel, I asked the guy. <laughs> I said, I said I got a student question. He goes, that's. I can't answer. That's not a Bible question. I didn't say it was a Bible question. I said it was a student. <laughs> that's amazing. So you're telling me there might be an ear out there. Wow. I'm sure. Yeah, that oh. that would be completely. Available. Or you could buy one in the gift shop. But yeah, Ezekiel shows faith all the way through, even even when um, his wife dies, and hmm. I mean he he does exactly what God says. I mean he had a hard call all the way through it. And and he was he never it wasn't easy on his wife either. No, well, no, it certainly wasn't. And he uh, unless he was weird before. He, <laughs> you think he was weird before? I'm sure he was weird before. <laughs> yeah. Well, as as my as one of my mentors always like to say, you know, you respected prophets, you need to listen to prophets, but you don't want your daughter married. No. So. Or what I said when I became a Christian, I never met so many weird people. <laughs> I've got to wonder whether they were weird before or after their conversion. Well, the foolishness of God. We read that in that's, the podcast. Yeah, I, evidently, that's what's going on. So that's what's happening for me in Ezekiel. Wow. It's, uh, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. Why all this resurrection stuff this fifth week of Lent? I just don't know. I, I should know these things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm certainly not going to go and call the expert, though. Well, I feel like we might be going someplace with that resurrection. Well, idea. yeah, but it's like it's actually, I guess so. I guess it's, it's foreshadowing in uh, in John also. So, yeah. No, it's spoiler alert. All right, Psalm 130 then, shall we? Sure. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you so that you may be revered. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. More than those who watch for the morning. I didn't just, that's actually, (laughs) it's printed that way, folks. Okay. So, you know, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is great power to redeem. It is he who will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. Yep. Do, all its iniquities, is that... Uh, Israel is not Israel gendered. is, uh, yeah, neutral or yeah. neuter? In this, in this translation. Huh, I never really noticed that. Yeah, I tend to it when I do Ezekiel as well. Is it... Is it uh, Gendered in the Hebrew? Uh, that's a great question. It would have to be because there's mm. no neuter in, in Hebrew. Yeah. Um, verse. Uh, or if there is, you can't be a priest. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's masculine. Okay. Israel, hope in the Lord. We should have a pact that we don't ask each other hard. Linguistic hard questions. <laughs> questions that well, haven't been You're lucky that I, pre-approved. <laughs> I happen to have the Hebrew open yeah, here. You Otherwise, do. I, I wouldn't be able to you answer it. get it right there behind the robots and toys over there if you need it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'd rather play with the robots and toys. Um, it's another song of ascent, another mm. song of pilgrimage. Okay. Um, it's, it's a lament. It's a, a little unusual lament that... Um, it has an extra feature to it. Uh, all of your laments in the Psalms, except one, have a moment of hope in them. Uh, there's always oh, this moment yeah. mm-hmm. in a lament when the psalmist says, but I know God's heard me, but but I know he'll deliver me, but the God has heard my cry. Uh, psalm 88 is the only exception. Psalm 88 is the only psalm that doesn't have a uh, word of hope 
in it, which is uh, fascinating and one of my very favorite psalms, and unfortunately not in the podcast. We're going to need to do a oh. – once we finish this three-year cycle, we'll do yeah. some of our favorite texts right. that aren't in the podcast. Get that stuff. Electionary, don't you think? Sure. Uh, <laughs> assuming we're still around. <laughs> Maybe that will be a – Faith nugget we throw in there. One of those faith nuggets we're throwing in the middle of the semester, mm-hmm. middle of the week. Yeah. Um, the the extra part, the, the moment of hope here comes in in five and six, right? I wait on the Lord. My soul waits in His word. I hope my soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch. And then it switches voice and turns to Israel and asks them, oh, okay, uh, to hope in the Lord. Yeah. Um. So so there's this sort of individual awesome. lament. I cry to the Lord. Right. That then has a moment of trust. I wait for the Lord. He, you know, I have assurance in him. And then turns to Israel and says, oh, Israel, find assurance in Yahweh for their steadfast love and great power to redeem. So well, he was beginning to repeat himself in the end of verse <laughs> 6. So. It works in the music. You know, <laughs> that's what it is. Once you, there, It's a praise chorus. You, sometimes you repeat that. <laughs> repeat. Um, and, and I will say that in verse 1 and 2, Lord and Lord are two different words. And... Um, Oh, okay. Yeah, I was wondering about yeah, that. Yeah, and in three... You mean three? I mean or, both verse one oh, and verse two. Oh, okay. It goes, I cry to you, O Yahweh, Lord, hear my voice. Okay. And then if you, O Yahweh, mark oh, Yahweh's yeah. Lord, who could stand? Mm-hmm. So it's a little... Oh, yeah. Um, one is all... There. One all is, yeah, the caps. all caps is telling you it's Yahweh, and then the little letters mm-hmm. tell you that it's another title. Yeah. Um, but there is forgiveness with you so that you may... Okay, I was going to shout at that part, but then I remembered that's a no, different name for that, God. That's just a... All caps. <laughs> yeah, yes, that's from the Amplified If it's not Bible, God's name, you got to read it louder. <laughs> that means it's Amplified. <laughs> right. So this is a, it's a favorite... Uh, off the charts. It's a favorite hymn. I mean, Out of the Depths I Cry. That's a... Um, from the deep end. Okay, it is. Looking of, for some help. That's a chaos, obviously a chaos mm-hmm. illusion there. I mean, yeah. it's... Uh, chaos tends to... Chaos is not destroyed in the Old Testament. All we ever can do is chain it, it seems. It, it's yeah. ordered, but then every mm-hmm. now and then it breaks back through. Yeah. And, and when it does, God is the only one who can who can respond and right. bring that order. And so God is looking looking to God in this. So, Right. And in the new creation, it's there at the beginning of Revelation, and then there's no C at the end. Yeah, chaos so is... No, more, no place in of. God's creation. So it's even so, present at the beginning, but placid and in control. And finally gone. At finally the end. gone at the end. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> I used to think, oh man, there's not going to be any like surfing in the middle, <laughs> you know in the new creation. This is it's, it's troubling to me as one who grew up near the coast and then moved to the Midwest. It's like I was looking forward to that. But have you uh, come to any peace in this? Is there is there surfing? It's my cross. Yes. Yes. That's that's it's talking about chaos and there's no surfing in the new. There creation. no. There will be. It's just, there will be surfing. The, in no. The yeah. Creation. In Revelation, it's symbolic. Oh. <laughs> yeah. oh, it's symbolic. It's there's no there's no sea in God's new creation because oh. evil will have no place in right, it. Because sea and evil are the be, same, right? It'll be might be a, even there's, there'll still be water is there sports. Some way that, is there still water sports? Is there some way in which surfing is a metaphor for creation? On some way, I mean, it is it is to tame and use that which God, is, images that kind of overlap that in the Psalms, right? God on the waves and whatnot. Well, the word you know, it's funny you mentioned the Genesis one. The word uh, f- uh, for hovering over the face of the deep uh-huh. or moving over the face of the deep is the modern Hebrew word for hang gliding. Really? So, yeah. So, okay. so the All spirit right. of God was hang gliding over the face of the I waters. was like stoked on this wave coming in. <laughs> it was totally In awesome. the barrel. 
He owned it. Even, he owned it. I don't even. I, I understand those words. We I have should no go idea. back and do do some of these psalms about setting a boundary for the waters and God walking on the waters and the waves with uh, with surfing. Surfer oh gosh! I all these projects for when we get through the the lectionary cycle. <laughs> we got reason to do this. Someone writing these down. <laughs> oh. Well, it's a short psalm. We've got all of it here. Mm-hmm. We didn't do the. Title, which of course makes me unhappy, but that's the way the lectionary does things sometimes. It just says Song of Ascent, so I'm not too upset. Okay. And how many Songs of Ascent are there? there Uh, 15, I believe. Can you read them? 15 to 17? Canonically, do they identify this with, you know, some point in a pilgrimage approach Uh, or just the long long middle part when the kids have finished their DVD? (laughs) (laughs) It's funny because the Song of Ascents are all different. Uh, types. There's okay. laments, there's praises. I mean, you would think on your way to Jerusalem, you know, there's, let's sing those Jerusalem songs and they're all one kind, okay. but they're not. They're, they're a variety of different psalm types and um, they are, um, that there's lament and, and there's praise. What and numbers are they? Oh, boy, why do you ask me these things? Right, well, it's, okay. see, it's a book five right. question. All right. All right. I think it's Sorry. around 120-ish to 134-ish, okay. somewhere in that range. Yeah. It's that bunch. So this one and yeah, very well known. Plus or minuses. Yeah, 90, this one's... 99 bottles of beer on the wall. Is that one? Is that, no? I don't think that no? one's in this group, oh, okay. no. Uh, this is actually a psalm that... <laughs> Things gave, to kill time. The title of uh, Bern, uh, Bernard Anderson's psalms book is Out of the Depths. Is the title of his book. Okay. So he's talking about... Oh, yeah, yeah. I have that. Yeah. I have that. You have an Old Testament book? Yes. Wow. It's there. It's on that one little Somewhere. shelf up there it's of yellow. Old Testament books. It's yellow. It is. Yes. Uh, is it? No, that's not it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've moved into this office what, like 10 years ago. I still haven't organized my books. Well, sometime you'll get to it. <laughs> right about yeah. the time you need to move out. So. Oh, man. Okay. Little, you ready to move on to Romans? A glimpse into my mind. Romans. Yes. 8, 6 Always. through 11. Again, scurrying through Romans. So... As my students say, there's a lot of good verses in there. A lot of good verses in here. (laughs) Let's try to connect them. Romans Romans 8, verse 6. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind... Boy, it's got dark early. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For this reason, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh. You are in the spirit, since the spirit of God dwells in you. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Anyone, checks out. Anyone, yeah, checks out. Yeah. Anyone who does not I, have the spirit. He's crunching the numbers here. And checking <laughs> Any, out. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in in you give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in you that is so different than ezekiel i mean it's the same but it's so different. i mean it's obviously an allusion to ezekiel yeah <laughs> well i don't know i okay. never really thought about it that way that's a, that's the interesting thing about when you're reading uh the lectionary that's just sort of like yeah obviously that's a connected but um thematically I absolutely sure hear it. but it's connected to this long uh, extended uh, argument he's developing here from from the very beginning. So you can you can tie this back into numerous points in in uh, one through seven uh, how he's been building towards this. Can I ask you a hard question that might get you off? Yeah, I can edit it out. All right. Yeah. It, uh, <laughs> good. Oh, good. Um, pause. Let's pause so we can have a seam here. Okay. The um, 
the, the Jewish understanding metaphysic of the body is that you don't have a soul. You don't have a spirit. You are a soul. You mm. are a spirit, right? The, the bodily resurrection is important in that way. It's not that it's not Greek. It's not that sense of the spirit is trapped inside the body. Right. That's it, not salvation. Yeah. Certainly they don't envision salvation that way. Right. It is, it, it is life is embodied. Yeah, exactly. And in the old Testament in particular, right, you have this, he became a live, he became a living spirit. He didn't have one. He was one. Mm. So when I read this, it sounds more Greek than Hebrew. Yeah. Okay. The, it, everything you said up to when I read this, is how I've always thought about this. Although, and I just glanced at Craig Keener's uh, cultural backgrounds in the New Testament. And he talks about how, uh, he doesn't explain it this way, but he says most Jews in this time thought uh, about having a body and a soul. Really? Which is the influence of Hellenistic, of Hellenistic thought. Culture. Yeah. But so now, see, when think, you go to Corinthians, you don't have that. In Corinthians, he looks very Hebrew. Yeah. Yeah, so that's and, and, and you know I've read this stuff. I've got a PhD in this stuff. I never really heard anyone talk about this. This is the classic go-to, exactly like you're talking about. But that's what we're seeing here. Probably a um, he's like wrestling with his ground. Hellenistic identity. Yeah, and and I don't know if this is coming to the surface more because he's talking to people further westward in mm. the in the greco-roman world mm-hmm. uh i mean he's that's obviously true. he's obviously corinth is you know yeah, well that's greece, in greece. i mean how do you so, get more greek than corinth so you know Hel- hellenism is uh it's there's no getting away from hellenism and so though those really stark divides between greek thought and hebrew thought they're not existent in the first century mm. they're they're already Influence. So we're mixing our metaphors in the way we're mixing our metaphysics it's not it's not so neat and separate as as one would think. Okay. Okay. Hence, life we have is, a Greek New Testament. <laughs> life is complicated is what you're telling me? Yeah. I have a Greek New Testament that's quoting a Greek Old Testament for the most part. That's, so, that's true. So we re- are really, it's a, they're on a spectrum. And it can go, um, it's, it's, sometimes it's a, um, a rural-urban divide, mm. whereas urban centers embrace Hellenism more. So I don't know if that affects his argumentation here because he's really writing to the— This is the urban the center. The urban center. Yeah. I, I don't know because I've been thinking about it about 20 minutes, and then you brought it back up. You Sorry. know, it's like, oh, people—they did. Most people assumed they had a—Jews assumed they had a body and a soul, mm. and a soul would, would but, depart at death. But they, they didn't cremate. I mean, the Romans no, cremated. No, and they wouldn't think that, you, that life it could be experienced outside of the body. So you're looking for a resurrection. So there's some sort of accommodation without uh, a whole change of system somehow. Mm. So it's some sort of um, good gumbo. Let's say. Well, well, it also might not have been systematic. Right? Yeah. I mean, how well, many yes. how many times have we heard someone preach a sermon about the soul oh, has gone on to be with Jesus, and yet we still celebrate Easter, I've right? Got and chart and here. don't even realize that there's a disjunction oh, between yeah. those two yeah. sentences. I've got this chart of uh, inconsistencies in the in, in American and in also ancient Mediterranean cultures. Re- realize this is not a systematic. Yeah. You know, there's lots of uh, contradictions in our in our system. And let me also say, it also strikes me a little bit gnostic. Sounding. I mean, if you were a Gnostic and you read these passages, you'd be cool with it. Oh, the mind. Yeah, the mind. Yeah. The mind of the flesh. The mind of the spirit. The mind on the flesh is, mm-hmm. is death, but mind of the spirit is life. And, you know, this yeah. veneration of spirit over flesh. Yeah. I mean. And so flesh and spirit here are, are really thought of, if you've, if you've been reading from the beginning, it's 
it's up through seven, this crisis of how even even the good thing, giving of the law, points out this presence of mm-hmm. sin that has dominated mm-hmm. our flesh. Therefore, we've been unable uh, to fulfill the law. Right. So it's a mode of existence that he's, that he's countering here that transitions at eight. So this cry of despair at the end of seven, you know, this body of flesh, I can't do what I want to do, and I do the things I don't want to do. Probably not autobiographical, but just the, the universal human experience for those who are determined by the flesh. The whole n- other nature of existence that is now possible through the incarnation, uh, life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Um, the spirit, unlike Gnosticism, this is the spirit would be something that all Christians have. This okay. is not for an elite. This okay. is just a whole other manner of life. Yeah. Okay, that has been inaugurated with the resurrection of Jesus. And all of our yous are plural here, right? But y'all are not in the flesh. Y'all are uh, in the spirit, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Or you guys, depending on where you're listening to this podcast. So it's not a common in, uh, in certain Christian circles to talk about f- carnal or fleshly Christians mm-hmm. and, and spiritual. And that mm-hmm. is, that's, that's not biblical at all. There's, that's, okay. that's, that's some sort of weird uh, perversion of those categories. For, for Paul, it's either you're in Christ or you're not. It's not, it's not an elite. And so... He's arguing against that kind of Gnosticizing tendency at Corinth. Okay. And you could say uh, they were probably, he might have been using language like this that's susceptible to taking it in that direction. Mm-hmm. But, and so a lot of Corinthians is correcting that. They're misunderstanding, you know, they're reading through their Gnosticizing grid. If right. it's, if it, you know, that I'm, that's a little bit anarchic, uh, anachronistic. Arch, uh, anachronistic or. Uh, in the sense that full-blown Gnosticism is right. not until the second century, right, 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 right. but you see the possible beginnings the of that trajectory. Of earlier. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So this is really that turning point um, in eight. It's it's it, spirit is so the dominant uh, theme here mm-hmm. um, at the resurrection of of Christ that we participate in that through His identification with us and us with Him and through baptism and mm-hmm. um, a present reality of that resurrected life. That uh, is not just future, but is also going to be determinative for our life if we lay hold of it and turn our hearts and minds towards that. Okay. Um, and orient ourselves toward this new reality and possibility of of living the life in the, uh, the in the spirit. You know, mm-hmm. it's not unlike I was as we were reading Ezekiel. I was thinking, is that where he talks about writing the you know the covenant on the hearts? You know, talking That's about giving Jeremiah. you a new spirit it's in Jeremiah. But there are some verses like that in in Ezekiel too. Mm-hmm. Um, no, no, I don't. Ezekiel as well. Yeah, Ezekiel, Ezekiel, Ezekiel as well. Yeah, <laughs> Ezekiel too. What? The, who knows what's in Ezekiel too? Is that more weird? That call uh, experience. By the that river, one's actually pretty normal. For, by the by the river stuff with the uh, the spaceships and whatnot. That's right? in one. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I should have warned our podcasters, though, that uh, reading your, the rabbis in believe should read Ezekiel till you were thirty. So I hope no one suffered. Yeah. Uh, as a result. Oh, of that. Uh, uh, isn't it just the uh, the, uh, the call the call scene? I, I don't know. I, I do know that the the story goes of the young man who's skilled in the law who decided that he could do it and read chapter one and got to the word lightning and lightning came out of yeah. the context and yeah. consumed him. It's a common story. That happens all the time. So <laughs> Ezekiel, I hope not, that not safe for the whole family. No, it is all no. <laughs> Ezekiel is absolutely. Not safe. I would rather do a Bible study in a senior adult center on Song of Songs than read the book of Ezekiel, if that makes any... And now I've got people ready to go read the book of Ezekiel. Uh, I don't like either of those choices. (laughs) (laughs) Ezekiel's worse. I'm going to choose C. Just go ahead and tell you that... (laughs) We're going to do the prodigal son. Something easy. 
<laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. I got you. Mainstream. <laughs> that's so mainstream. Product. Uh, Did I tell you that story? No. Oh, my goodness. The other night. Okay. Here's a digression. This is why we have the title. It's distracted. Well, I'm teaching Luke this semester. So uh, I'm having people, um, Jesus has taught something, and he's probably going to re- reinforce it with his parables. Yeah. And so I'm having them do some group work and come in and find a parable that has these this theology that we've been looking at. And so I'm getting a report back from the... Uh, from the groups and a group in the back says, yeah, we, we're, we focused on this and we were looking at uh prodigal son and the group right in front of my desk goes mainstream. <laughs> <laughs> That's so mainstream. <laughs> I say, yeah, you're not impressing these guys. These guys are so tough. They're doing the, uh, oh. the, the parable of the unjust steward. So you're gonna have to try. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's yeah. too mainstream. <laughs> prodigal son's too mainstream. <laughs> Just dismiss it. Dismissing. That's the best thing I heard all semester. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Hipsters. Hipsters. That's my hand-copied Bible that I copied on the Yeah, <laughs> my oil skin. Whatever that that notebook they, those hipsters like to write in. Well, yeah, we so Romans, this is... We yeah, right, really, <laughs> back to Romans. This is quite a transition if you, uh, if you read from the beginning of the chapter. Um, and uh, many of my students' favorite chapters were my, my, my early... Uh, Christian experience, certainly Romans 8, is uh, yeah. something powerful, you know, yeah. well, because it, you're it living it. finishes you know? big, too, mm-hmm. Romans 8 does, so, yeah, you know, with the big yes. nothing shall separate mm-hmm. us section. So. Yeah, it is. It is, it is. it is a crescendo on the way, uh, along the way. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a lot of connections there to uh, Ezekiel. But it is, it is really this um, playing off this first half of the argument— in one through seven, and uh, the particularly the second half of the first half of the argument, in yeah. uh, about the uh, the frailty of the flesh, the inability of the flesh to uh, accomplish God's purposes. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me let me ask you this about the the, the Old Testament illusion. The, do you think that that there is a deliberate Old Testament illusion here, or is it that Paul is so swimming in these ideas that when he expresses them? He uses them without even, you know what I mean, without consciously yeah. making that reference. I don't know if I'm asking that well, but I. Yeah, no, I I think it it's the latter. I okay. I, I think he can be very intentional, but you're talking about a uh, scripture saturated society. Yeah, and um, and they were great auditors. They heard mm-hmm. well. Yes, you know, they listened. Yes, well. and so people would pick up on it. So if we pick up on something, it's pro- I tell my students it's probably there. Yeah. Okay, if you think you, you think you're hearing it, it's probably much louder to the people uh, of the time and the day. And I, I reference this uh, commercial. I say people typically say, "Well, that's pretty subtle. Is that really there?" I mean, when I, when I'm introducing people to intertextuality in mm-hmm. the New Testament with the Old, mm-hmm. people tend to poo-poo it a bit. Mm-hmm. Sorry for the strong language, but uh, we'll, we'll bleep that out. Then. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what, did, what did he say? <laughs> uh, I should, yeah, go sit in the sad chair. But um, I use this commercial from McDonald's. It's a few years old. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have any words in it. And all it is is theme songs from old classic sitcoms like Bewitched. Okay. And, you know, Gilligan's Island and uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and, and I dream of genie. And so it's a guy, a, a, a man and his uh, husband and wife on the couch, and he has the remote. Okay. And you hear these. You don't see the. You okay. don't see the things. And he's changing channels because it's the old joke. You know, right. men don't want to know what's on. They want to know what else is on. So right. he's changing channels, and she's getting frustrated. And she has some McDonald's French fries. And they're telling a story as each time he changes the channel, it kind of tells a story. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the commercial, he has the French fries. He has his um, uh, his eyes are glazed over. He's looking at the French fries. That, you know, you know how uh, McDonald's plays up their French fries. They're good. And she has the control, and it's playing Bewitched. Okay. Oh. Ah. So they've told a story mm-hmm. simply by little snippets of sitcoms that are twenty or thirty years old at, at this that point. point. Yeah. yeah. And I've tested this out, and my students still know these things. I play a okay. few notes from a sitcom, and they guess it in two or three notes. Okay. One guy guessed the next sitcom I was going to play. So sometimes <laughs> zero notes. I don't know. So that's how saturated we are. I say, the reason we don't get it is because we don't know our Old Testament, because uh, we're saturated in TV. But right. they knew their Old Testament like mm-hmm. they're saturated. And they may not even be conscious when they're doing it. You know, okay. They maybe have a conversation with lots of allusions and nods toward you know this mm-hmm. cultural currency. And no one even acknowledges in the conversation. Mm-hmm. If you're an outsider and watching it, you don't even know what's going on. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. So I don't, they get that. They usually get that. So realize. We had a, a moment. It's funny. You said we had a moment the other night. We had a, a, one of the boys' friends was over and we were all sitting at the table and I made, there was some moment that was just the right line from the right movie that without any context mm-hmm. looked like it was just a ridiculous moment. And I said it and my two boys laughed and the other guy looked at us like, what in the world kind of cult have I wandered into? <laughs> yeah. Because it was nothing but, I mean, I think it was just like one word. I don't know if it was like I used the term 42 mm-hmm. or it was something okay. simple like yeah. that. That there was enough in our family. In we had this shared culture. Community of, that, of discourse. Exactly. Yeah. Had that, there was so much associated with that that in that right moment, they felt it, they heard it, they right. laughed. Mm-hmm. And someone outside, didn't, they didn't recognize it. And so, and we we live in a time now where there's less. You know, that was the time. These are these are right. sitcoms from the three, when there's channel three channels, yeah, right? The, from the three Everyone channels. Everyone knows yeah. that, and it's hard to it's hard to say what does everyone know right now you yeah know? You're, because we've atomized it might be the so meme much. the meme of the week yeah a a movie that's really popular or something that happened at the super bowl at halftime yeah i yeah. was doing something with uh left shark i remember left shark <laughs> a year later <laughs> okay. that's all, never gonna work all my active learning exercises with left shark are gonna seem dated sometime <laughs> <laughs> yeah two weeks after it two happened weeks, yeah yeah that's so last month yeah you're right what did you say that 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 our culture these days has the expiration date of dairy products it's yeah. just really the shelf difficult. life of a dairy product yeah which you shouldn't even keep on the shelf you should refrigerate this they unless just say you should refrigerate your dairy uh, unless products. it's ultra high pasteurized yeah um but then it's dead mm-hmm. so move on to John, right. don't you think? We've got a whole other chapter. John 11 uh, that I'm reading the, the entire chapter of. I checked with huh. the NRSV people. They said this was fine. Cool. Uh, now a certain man was ill. If only that guy had a name. Lazarus. Oh, he does. Hey. Of Bethany. Because um, that looks like you're starting a Luke story, but it, you're not because yeah, he's about to tell man. you who it is. That's this, one of his favorite this, So this guy, yeah. Yeah, a certain man was ill. Sounds Lazarus like of Bethany. Uh, it does. The village of Mary and his sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent a message to Jesus. Lord, he whom you love is ill. 
But when Jesus heard it, he said, the illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory so that the Son of Man, excuse me, the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then, after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? <laughs> are, those, are those? I got this one. Yes. <laughs> Those who walk during the day do not stumble because they see the light of the world. So this would have been around March or October during the equinox. Yeah, it had to be equinox time. Um, but those who walk at night stumble because the light is not in them. Uh, after saying this, he told them, my friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, but they thought he was referring merely to sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. Let us go to him. Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let's also go, that we may die with him. Well, thanks, Thomas. Probably said it that way. <laughs> kind of chipper. Perky. Thomas That's a nice, was, what would you say it that way, Thomas? <laughs> Thomas is always an optimist. <laughs> when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary. I want to say Mary and Martha. Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives... I think he probably paused for effect. He just kept going there? This is a long chapter. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives... No, I mean before. Never mind. (laughs) Okay. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, The teacher is here and calling for you. <laughs> I didn't see him say that, but apparently <laughs> when she heard it. I'm sorry, this struck me funny. It's not more laughing in this chapter than typically. <laughs> <laughs> she, it's like she made it up. Jesus wants you. Um, it's like when your mom says, I need someone to empty the dishwasher. <laughs> Jesus yeah. wants you. Uh, when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought she was going to the tomb to weep there. And they didn't want to miss that. Uh, When Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. At least they were agreed on this. (laughs) Well, hello to you, too. (laughs) When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. 1135, Jesus began to weep, or Jesus wept. Mm -hmm. Um, So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again, greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so they may believe that you sent me. 
When he said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to him, unbind him, let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. Okay. Whew. Yeah. Oh, that's right. So I'm, I've got the whole chapter printed out here from the last time I looked at this. So, yeah, you could start at 39 and read all the way through 57 if you're kind of thinking of this as a complete thought. But this is, remember how simple all those other chapters of John we were yeah. looking at? It's <laughs> surprisingly simple they turned out to be. This one's even more complex than all those. This is kind of a climax of Johannine theology. And um, so, yeah, how to boil it all down? We probably need to think about the um, the creative chronology. We talked a little bit about this yeah. in John, how he's got he all these characters. With... Ca- oh, excuse me. <laughs> Good morning. Creative chronology, that's the word of the day. <laughs> Ding. Um, and it's like password. Sorry, sorry about that. password is creative chronology. Sorry about that. I normally have muted that, but today I clearly <laughs> forgot, and as a result... No, we want to incorporate more sound effects as we, we go. We got binged with creative chronology, so that's our magic word. You you have to come to terms with it at some point. He's got these characteristics of an eyewitness, but he's definitely uh, doing some provocative things with the chronology, like uh, cleansing the temple as his first public act, as right. opposed to of his last. the last thing that brings around the end of his public mm-hmm. ministry. Um so it's one of those things that... Uh, and, the, and the crucifixion is the day uh, of Passover right, instead of the right. day after mm-hmm. Passover. Yeah. But if he, moves, if he moves the precipitating event of his crucifixion, mm-hmm. the, the um, cleanse of the temple, to the first thing of his ministry, you've actually left something open. What's the right. precipitating event? What is event? the thing that brings it about? It's the raising of Lazarus. Okay. He's, he's, uh, he's, this is that heavy Johannine irony that he's, he's giving life to the dead. We have... Caiaphas says, prophesize, we have to kill him. Okay. Right, right, yeah. Yeah. right. So um, it's, yeah, this is a, it's so much, uh, that's a very yeah, this is the thing that, dark irony. That provokes the Jewish op- opposition in John. Right, and if we just kept reading a few more minute, a few more verses, then, then Caiaphas, who's a high priest, says, you know, nothing at all, you know, everyone's chasing after him, everyone's uh, following Jesus, and he says, one man has to die for the whole nation. So there's irony in him saying, we have to kill him because he's giving people life, but also he's saying truth that uh, it'll give life to the whole nation if mm-hmm. he dies. If so he dies. it's better that he dies. So um, it's very much intertwined uh, with with that, uh, that you know something. You know something about the plot. You know mm-hmm. something about the events that bring about this uh, this death of Jesus. And it's a surprising um Surprising episode to to play that role, and also in terms of um, the chronology, uh, as things are pushed forward, there's a lot in here that echoes what we know of Jesus' death from the synoptics. Mm-hmm. So that there's death mentioned and uh, the tomb, and it's very similar Let's to both it. how we hear it in the synoptics and what we'll what we'll see later in John. Um, and we've talked about how that John is taking things from different points in the plot, the story of Jesus, and juxtaposing them. So that 11 is very much like Jesus' death. 12, he's anointed for burial, mm-hmm. okay, with Mary. He says, like it says in this chapter, Mary who anointed him for burial. You in know, the next chapter? Yeah, yeah <laughs> who, who, who you'll find out later who I'm talking about, except you already know from these other stories. Um, 
So 11 is death, 12 is, is burial, and uh, 13 is his return. And the whole upper room discourse in John, if we we're taking it seriously. Uh, <laughs> As opposed to. The devil, different levels of meaning. Uh, opposed to trying to force it into the mold of the synoptic. I see what you're saying. Is okay. what he's talking about. You were talking about if we were taking it seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, you meant if, yeah, okay, if scholars yeah, took seriously. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, or, you know, readers, generic reader. Um, what he's talking about in the Upper Room Discourse is talking about ongoing present experience. What he's unpacking there in that long uh, teaching mm-hmm. about I'm going away and I'm coming to you um, is talking about Johannine theology of the present experience. Of uh, He's juxtaposing the return of Jesus and that uh, what comes about when the Messiah does reign and the, the glory that, that we'll okay. experience of God. He's juxtaposing that with the present experience of Jesus. Even like Paul has just talked about Christ has been raised from the dead and we know that we in the future will be raised from the dead, but now we have that resurrection life at work in us. So it's this collapsing of, of, of present and future eschatology. So on, on the one level, what you're saying is... What, what, what you're I saying? hear you saying is <laughs> for the folks at home. <laughs> that John is on one level looking like he is narrating a, a story that, of Jesus that yeah. leads to... To crucifixion mm-hmm. that on a deeper level is is alluding to those elements already mm-hmm. in the life of Jesus that then moves us to what appears to be a discourse preparing them for crucifixion is actually a discourse that's talking about the life of the church now. Yeah. 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 Okay. And this is uh, this wow. is an interesting event. Um, if you think about the background of the writing of this, it might uh, have been the tradition of, of the John who was um, close associate with Jesus, although he's not called that. He's actually called the beloved disciple, and it's only in this chapter that you hear people talked about as being loved of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And one of the first ones mentioned is Lazarus. Lazarus. So people suggest whether that's he's a he's the author of this or it's a literary device to say, why does this have... Why does this gospel have this resurrected experience? Why mm-hmm. is it looking at Jesus' ministry, looking back through the lens of the resurrection? Uh, well, if it's a, whether if, it, you know, if Lazarus had a component, a hand in this, or he's drawing upon this, the, the person Lazarus to say he's kind of inscribed in the text as the author, in, in the sense that this is not this is not good stuff to get into in a podcast. Wow, <laughs> I realize it, saying like, oh. Oh, if he's kind of the, the implied author, well, that kind of gives a sense of like, oh, he has this perspective of resurrection because he's he's uh, the one who's okay. been resurrected right, and he has so, this different perspective on, again, on Jesus' ministry. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think people getting all this stuff coming out of the fire hydrant. They're just swallowing. <laughs> what I hear you saying is because Lazarus is said to be the someone Jesus loves early on in this. In fact, verse 3, right? Lord, he who you yeah. love is ill. Mm-hmm. That... And because the one disciple who truly seems to get it in the text is, the is called disciple. the beloved disciple. Yeah. Never, John is never named. The it's person is never named, yeah. just only ever called beloved mm-hmm. disciple. Yeah. That it, it might be implying for us, the reader, that Lazarus yeah. is the beloved disciple. Uh-huh. And the reason that we have an understanding, that the rest of the gospel has a perspective on resurrection is because Lazarus is the one resurrected. Yeah. Did yeah, I get that and, right? And, uh-huh. Okay, and, and so it, I heard what you were saying. <laughs> and I believe it's only after this point that we hear the person uh, referred to as a beloved disciple. So, oh, uh, there's no you beloved say, disciple prior to 11. Yeah, I don't, I don't believe there is. Wow. Yeah. 
So you could, um, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of digressions you could go through here because it's so much of Johannine theology here at this climactic turning point in Jesus ministry. We're swimming with elephants again. Right? Yeah. Yeah, we are. We are in the deep end. We're crying to God, to the Lord. Out from, of the depths. From the depths. <laughs> Out of the depths are gone. From the depths. But it is it, it, a precipitating event in the life of this community could be this, the author of the fourth gospel, uh, is dying or has died, and mm-hmm. they're they're putting he's finishing touches on this gospel, and part of that is uh, he's leaving something for maybe one of the last first generation of believers, mm-hmm. leaving something for subsequent generations. And uh, one of the things is, uh, what does it mean that Christians are dying? You know, there's this yeah. ambiguous experience of uh, how does it how does a community that's really emphasizing the present reality of eternal life what does that mean when they when the saints die mm-hmm. what does that mean when the founder of this community died mm-hmm. you know or jesus died we know that in res- but but they're looking to john okay right. and so uh, you kind of have the synthesis of the life of this community at the end of the first century you have a kind of resurrected perspective on jesus entire ministry mm-hmm. uh looking back that has this different character than the synoptics and so you have this event of the question like is Jesus with us? Does, does the fact that Jesus wasn't here, or does the fact that people are dying mean Jesus wasn't here? So many times throughout this chapter, you have people say, if you were here, Something my brother wouldn't have died. Okay? Gotcha. So it's playing with this ambiguous experience of um, Christian so, experience of death. Okay, so that on the one level, the story is <laughs> what talking. I hear you and what I hear you saying. I'm doing that a lot today, aren't I? You're right. This must be a complicated passage if I'm doing that a lot I think lot we're going to get all this in the part... The first half of this podcast, part A. <laughs> <laughs> so what I hear you saying is that on the one level, we're narrating the the what appears to be dealing with the situation of Lazarus being gone. Mm-hmm. But on the other, on the other, on a deeper level, we're dealing with the Life co- the, the Johannine community, community yeah. this, this Church of John that has gotten together, that is dealing with losses in this community mm-hmm. and praying. I mean, we can hear them saying, Jesus, if you if were you still here. Me. Yeah. Our our beloved right. members would not be gone, uh-huh. and and wrestling with Jesus, what what does death mean yeah. without the physical presence of Christ? Yeah. So to, maybe to harken back to something uh, when we were looked at John nine, we talked about it having these different levels: a mm-hmm. level of the ministry of Jesus, mm-hmm. but also it resonates with the experience of Christians at the end of the first century when they're being kicked out of synagogues, right? And Jesus seeks this person out, right. kicked out of synagogues. But also that's, that person is a universal, uh, larger-than-life figure. The, his story is everyone's story. Okay. So John, there's a lot of chapters that have these different levels, too. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's Jesus' ministry. It's also speaking directly to, like, preaching a sermon from Jesus' ministry. You're preaching it to a congregation. You're preaching, selecting it, and presenting it in a certain way for what, a lot, what that congregation is going Neat. through. They may know the story of Jesus. Right. We know the story of Jesus, but they need it represented in a way that's relevant to their life circumstances and challenges. Well, I would think that that's what people do. You've probably so done that every a few Sunday, times. Right? Yes, right. Well, on this seat, every Sunday sermon. Every single yeah, Sunday sermon exactly. we've ever seen. Right. Like, well, I mean, I call them, well, I mean, I, it's natural to do it, but I've always called the gospel sermons. Yeah, I mean, these sure are sermons are. on the lives of this Jesus. Is, this is not necessarily new information for people, no. it's yeah. a, but it's relevant information. Mm-hmm. It's a way to frame the information mm-hmm. yeah. so that you can yeah. hear it in your place. Yeah. And it also seems to be an occasion for a very uh, uh, synthesis and uh, of much of John's theology here, particularly when it comes to eschatology mm-hmm. and experiencing life now, experiencing resurrected life now, but also uh, uh, 
realizing that uh, you have this ambiguous experience that people still die. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Saints die. People who who we say have life, you know, and and so Jesus some of the things that Jesus says, like if a man, you know, if a uh, if a man believes in me, you know, the, the, he'll live, and and even if he dies, you know, I, I can't find it on the page, so I'm <laughs> it's everywhere. Poorly <laughs> paraphrasing, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's very interesting. Uh, it's one of these many delays that Jesus has that brings about his death. You know, when his mother asks him to do something, he mm-hmm. doesn't do it immediately, and the ro- the royal official he doesn't do what the royal official asks him to come and heal his. What do those delays mean? It's. It seems to always be that it's. It's Jesus is the one bringing the revelation. Jesus is oh. is at Jesus only is time. Yeah, doing what he sees the Father doing. No one is. Uh, it's his own initiative. Uh, it's. It's. Was well, it this? Is it this chapter where I'm not going up to the festival and then he goes up to the festival? Um, is it eleven? Maybe it's I, not. I forget whether it's uh, ten. It's somewhere where twelve or if it's just happened. His brothers say, "You go up to this festival. I'm not going." And then he goes. And then he goes. Yeah, <laughs> he just sounds exactly like a brother. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah. So it's, it, it is. He's he's the one who's always in control. Right. Right. I mean, yeah. well, it's the same. Yeah. Like when he's arrested in Mark, the temple soldiers grab him and drag him out, and John he goes out to meet them. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He's the yeah. One. Right. He's the one. Yeah. You're not the boss of me. Exactly. All throughout John. <laughs> it's one of those. That's it. That's, <laughs> that's what it is. Let's boil down the message of the gospel. And too. might have divine implications as well. You're not the boss of me. This is one of these delays, but this is definitely the most consequential delay. Yeah. And he says, I'm glad, you know, I'm glad for your sakes. I'm glad. And so it's an opportunity to address this issue uh, of the, the reality of uh, well, resurrection. Again, death is glory. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. This is it's similar language to we see that this has happened to the God can be glorified. Yeah. Well, crucifixion is glorification in mm-hmm. John, mm-hmm. and here the illness does not lead to death, rather to the glory, yeah. to God's glory. Yeah. It's the same. It's the same language. So it is pointing to Jesus' death, but also to um, opportunity for clarification that no, Jesus is in the midst of this community, even though they are uh, experiencing these events of of death and this ambiguous experience. Uh, that's not ultimate, that mm-hmm. Christians refer to this as sleep, as Jesus does in this chapter. Um, and yet, uh, I don't, we've, we've probably both been to funerals that are too happy. Yeah. They're too Christian. Mm-hmm. And Jesus, Jesus gives warrant to, this is something lament. that's, yeah, lament. And the brutal reality, the brutal taking of loved ones from us. Jesus weeps, mm-hmm. gives legitimacy to both of those feelings, that, that, mm-hmm. which makes it such an ambiguous experience for mm. christians mm. um he does not he he enters into this this morning also it's a it's a reality and it's a harsh reality a, a brutal um removal of someone from from one's communion so um yeah and that's fairly fairly central to the uh to the if you think about the structure of the of the chapter mm-hmm. it's interesting the different in, Encounters he has with the different sisters. Martha comes out and uh, she engages him. <laughs> one of the one of the two says, "If you'd been here, you know, yeah, nice both, green. My they, brother wouldn't have died." They both greeted him exactly the same way. <laughs> yeah. And oh, by the way, have, nobody's told you this, but if you'd have been here, they, they do, might have different expectation. And let me, let me stop for a second. Back, I'm gonna say everything that Jesus does is a sign. So right. it's easy to forget that this is a sign because right. it's such an amazing sign. Right. Okay. So if it's a sign, it's pointing to a greater reality. So he is going to resuscitate someone 
but uh, we need to keep in mind that. Well, so signs also, particularly in the Old Testament, signs are things which confirm prophetic word. Mm-hmm. So this yeah. word is true because of this sign. Yeah. And so. And and in in John, signs are when he feeds the five thousand. In John, in the Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the the disciples distribute the bread. In John, Jesus does it personally. It could have taken a while. I guess. <laughs> so it's, it's very line. it's very personal. Yeah. And so the sign is that Jesus is the bread of life. It mm-hmm. says something. The signs that John speak to are the present experience of Christians. This is how we experience mm-hmm. Jesus. Jesus is our sustenance. Jesus mm-hmm. is, you know. So every time Jesus does a sign or these I am sayings, you know, which kind of replace the parables, they're all talk about how do Christians experience it? This, this, this community that really emphasizes the present ongoing experience of Jesus through the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, the signs point to the nature of that experience. Mm. So this sign is, is going to say something to that community. How do we experience Jesus? So it's, it's interesting how it's narrated in this encounter with Martha. Um, and I'm reading from a slightly different translation here. It says, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha is telling me something I don't know. I'm an yeah. Orthodox Jewish woman. Right. You know, it's, it, that's the kind of response is, I know he will rise again in the resurrection the last day. You know, yeah. it's like, I know 15, you know, 15 minutes will save you 15%. On your, <laughs> everybody knows that, Jesus. <laughs> and this is where I think he pauses for effect. Oh, okay. I am. You know, you know the thing that all Orthodox people believe, you know, that life after death, they're still hoping. I am the resurrection and the life. Okay. As this, as there's this, this isn't just something we believe it's something that's going to happen. This is a present reality. Okay. Yeah. So I still get goosebumps when I read that. Um, as great as that sign is, as great as the sign that it's going to happen, mm-hmm. you've got to realize that this points to this great reality of present experience of Christians mm-hmm. that he is our resurrection and life. And uh, I am the resurrection and life. He who believes in me will live. You think about this ambiguous experience of death. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. But does she believe her son, her, her brother is going to be resurrected? Because she says he's, he's probably stinking by now. You yeah, know? yeah. So is she expecting anything after that? It's interesting. Uh, what, is that, what does her belief mean? This is one of those places where Martha is... Confessing something, it sounds a lot like what Peter says. What Peter would say, yeah. 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 And, uh, and then and Mary has a slightly different uh, take on it. As a, um, I'm not sure if they're playing one sister off against the other here. Though she does open with, if you'd been here, my brother would have Yeah, been. yeah, right. But she's weeping when she says mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm, yeah. And, and they're at the tomb, so maybe she is expecting something mm-hmm. more. And she says to Jesus what Jesus says to the disciples in one, come and see. Yeah. So I, um, I forget. I usually focus more on Martha and that that exchange. Usually Jesus does a sign and then explains the sign afterwards. This one he explains the sign ahead of time. Sign. Yeah. Yeah. So it's very it's it's very interesting. So Jesus it, it is a climax in terms of um, uh, the Christology. Uh, I've got a little I've got a little list here. So of all, it, all the titles used for Jesus. It it this is a sign. Of also what is to come with Christ in the story, 
but also yeah. a sign of hope for the community. For the community at the end of the first century whose who community members are dying and even possibly the founding member who walked with Jesus is mm-hmm. dying. And that probably wasn't expected. Uh, yeah. Oh, it's a climax of, 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 a, of titles, kind of Christology in the sense of, uh, you got a little quick list I'll read through here. Uh, from, from 1 to 11, um, you know, it begins with Jesus, the wisdom, the word right. incarnate, the true light. He's who's written of Moses. He's the Messiah. Angels ascend and descend on him. He's the new bridegroom, the new temple. Three, he's the source of new birth. Four, the bridegroom, the source of living waters, savior of the world, as the uh, Samaritans confessed. Mm-hmm. The, the life-giving word to the Roman official's son. He's the new Sabbath, uh, and, and he judges and gives life in five. Six, he's the new Moses and bread of life. Seven and eight, the new temple again. Eight, life of the world. Nine, the light of the world and more blind. And ten, he's Jesus, the good shepherd, and eleven, resurrection and life. So really, it's it's. Um, I don't think you're going to get quite those titles as you get into the Passion. So it's definitely okay. transitioning into the Passion. But it's climactic and so much coming together, mm. you know, in terms of these different levels of meaning. Are you saying that the temple was in 10? Is that what you just said? Uh, temple, say- a temple, where did I list that? He's often at the temple when he's saying these oh, things. Oh, okay. New temple, uh, 7 and 8. 7 and 8. That's okay. at uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. And he talks about when they're pouring the big jars of water down the steps to evoke Ezekiel. Right. And is that in Isaiah yeah, too? That's in Ezekiel. I don't know that's in Isaiah. He, he says, I am the, the mm. water of life. You know, that's the, interesting. Life giving water. I wonder if our mics are going to pick up that siren. <laughs> yeah, no, they're very, they're very discriminating. <laughs> I probably have a filter for that. Oh, good. Filter out. <laughs> the police are chasing me. <laughs> oh, wow. It's well, cold. We have been in the deep end here yes. in John 11. We've gone so much long, here. but that's okay. This would be a great Easter text. This is... Like so many of these resurrection texts. I mean, my yeah, goodness. They're all, they're all yeah. strong. Yeah. This would be... We're approaching Easter quickly now, aren't we? This is yeah. the fifth Sunday. Yeah. So, um, so foreshadowing resurrection, but mm-hmm. also remarkable uh, embodiment of resurrection at the same time. Yeah. It's interesting that they're using. I have to see uh, if every year, if in the cycle, that there's a, a heavy foreshadowing of resurrection at this That's a good fifth question. week of Lent. It, it's risky to call our liturgical friend in to ask that question. Yeah, we we'll just have to. We'll just speculate. Be the novices out loud. <laughs> Great. Well, thanks so much for listening with us this week and going a little long, um, but uh, we appreciate it. Make sure and. Um, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and leave reviews on iTunes and Stitcher. And, uh, Say hello to email. the telegraph operator. Yeah. Tele- send us an email at readinginchurch at gmail.com. Um, Mike will put those together. Yeah. And we'll get a. Do we have another question? Someone says. I have to get back to those. We had two look, questions. I think we answered we one. We answered one of them. I can't remember the what one. the other one was. Yeah, we'll, we'll go to the mailbag segment of our of our podcast yeah. once we get some more. But if you ask us more, we'll, we'll be fresh in our memory. We'll, we'll answer your take your questions as well. Absolutely, because obviously we have a lot of time left at the end of these podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> we, we're just Robert has been saying stretch, stretch. Just, uh, <laughs> try to find more in eleven to That's talk right. about. Not, not as it's it's just so thin. Yeah. So uh, this is this was in the the deep end today. Yeah. But uh, yep. Grateful for that. Good stuff. So. So thanks for listening. Have a great week. Blessings. Blessings. Blessings.